And uh, we are excited. It is a new year with uh, new challenges and some of the same old challenges that we've been dealing with over the last year. But um, we believe that the new year is significant, and we believe that God has a plan for us as individuals and for this church. And uh, what we, um, we feel like we wanted to do in January, these, these next four Sundays in January, there's five this year in January, but these, uh, these next four, we're going to do a series that we're starting today that's called Revision, a year of faith. Uh, you know, this church, we have a, a mission and a vision in the church for New Hope. Many of you know it. Uh, we have it on posters out in the atrium. We try to remind you of it constantly because we believe wholeheartedly in it. Uh, we believe the Lord gave it to us. Uh, the, the mission of this church is to reach those far from God and to lead people to their, into their next step in a God-first life. That is what encompasses everything we do here at New Hope. We're all about reaching people that don't know Jesus and leading people that do know Jesus to their next step into a God-first life. That's the, the mission of the church. And then the vision goes with that. It is to grow, uh, connect, grow, build, and give. That's the vision of the church. And that, that, that bring, points us back to the mission. If you are part of a corporation, they, they probably have a mission and a vision statement for them too. And, uh, it's very common to have that, but in the church, we feel like it's even more important to make sure we are succinct in knowing what we want to do and where we're going. Now, that being said, this year, we felt like the Lord gave us kind of a, a sub-theme for the year. I don't feel like that's necessarily required for every year in church work, but this year, we felt it necessary. We felt like the Lord has showed us through prayer that this was to be a year of faith. How many of you know we need some faith this year? I feel like last year, fear kind of had an hour, kind of ruled the day for many for a long time. And I think the, a lot of us, probably all of us, hoped that by some miracle, as soon as the calendar changed over, that everything that was in 2020 would stay there. Well, we didn't take us long to figure out that it didn't. Many of it, much of it came here into 21 with us, and some of it has even escalated in many ways. But, you know, fear is not going to derail the mission and vision of the church. It will not derail it. We have a purpose. We have an objective as a church, as people in the church, and as a church as a, as a whole, to fulfill the Great Commission. And beyond that, in our own personal life, to grow in our walk, to grow in our faith. And we feel like this is a year that we need to have bold faith in our God. Bold faith in our God. There's, no, there's no, uh, nothing to point for 21, that things are just going to all of a sudden get easy, right? And we shouldn't even be looking for things to necessarily get easy. We should be looking for God to show us how to rise above the things that are going on in this world, Amen. right? Things are, every time you think, oh man, it can't, you know, feel like we understand what's happening now, something new happens and makes us go, whoa, I really didn't know that could happen. You know, we keep thinking COVID is going to start tailing off and all of a sudden it spikes again and you know, the vaccine came and everybody's starting to feel like, oh, good, we got a vaccine. And all of a sudden cases are going through the roof. And it's like, well, how long is it going to be? And we don't know what the future holds politically. I mean, I, I don't even know what to say politically. There's so much going on that it is unbelievable. And it can cause anxiety in us. It can cause fear. It can cause all kinds of turmoil in our life. But you know what? Our, our faith isn't in any of those things. It doesn't mean those things don't matter, but our faith isn't in those things. And if, if 2020 has taught us anything, it's taught us to know why we believe what we believe. 
In fact, it's shown us what we really believe is actually coming to the surface. That's why so many of us have lived in fear because we don't really believe what we say we believe. And I'm not here to point fingers. I'm not here to call you out necessarily, but I think it's important for us to know where we have failed, where we have fallen short. And in 21, I believe God's mandate for us, Joy and I believe this wholeheartedly, for all of us, for the staff, for the, the people in this church, visitors, anybody that's part of New Hope, that this is a year of faith, that we are going to do our part to help our faith grow, to help our faith rule the day and not fear. Because, it, because when we are walking in faith, our outside circumstances don't get to have their say as far as whether or not we're going to be in faith or fear. And we actually have a verse that we're going to be using for this month we typically do this with the series we do. We have a theme verse. And what we're going to use for this month is in Hebrews 11, in verse 6. A very popular, very common verse, but a very powerful verse. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me as I read it. One more time. I know we're standing and sitting a lot, but I love to stand when we initially read the Word of God. I believe it's significant to honor Him with this Word. Hebrews 11:6. it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe, that's another way of saying faith, that he exists and, everyone say and, and. that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Great verse. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this wonderful time we have together today. Lord, you are worthy of our lives. You're worthy of our faith. And Lord, I pray you do your work in our hearts in these next few moments. Holy Spirit, come have your way in each one of our lives and seal the work you're doing in us today by your spirit for your glory, God. It's all for you, Jesus. We're here for you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Before you're seated, turn to someone and say, it's the year of faith. Yeah, say it like you believe it. It is time for us to see with our eyes of faith. It's time for us to have vision our vision that we see with is our eyes of faith. We see with our heart and what we believe about our God. You know, I grew up wanting to please God. From a young age, I remember wanting to please God. This verse in Hebrews 11, I remember it from a young age because it says without faith, it's impossible to believe God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. But see, for me, it stopped right there because I believe he exists, and I, but I believed in a lot of ways that he was trying to get me. And that if I messed up, that he was looking to get me. Now, whether or not that was taught to me or I came up with that on my own or listened to the enemy whisper in my ear, I don't know. But that's what I believe. But see, my mom instilled a belief in God from an early age. And so I, it was a core value of mine to have faith and to believe that there is a God, that he exists and that he knows me. But for me, it stopped right there. And that's why I had you repeat the word and with me, because it is so important that we remember the second part of this verse. It says that, and he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Now you could take that, people have taken that verse to promote the prosperity gospel, that we, that we seek him for what he can give us, that if we seek him, he's going to reward us, he's going to give us everything we want, everything we need, everything our heart desires. I don't believe that for a second, that that is the heart of God for each and every one of us. I, don't, I believe he does bless us with things. But if we're pursuing him for that reason, we have missed it. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel I see in my Bible at all. But he is a rewarder. That reward is many things. The reward, the first and foremost, the greatest reward is that we get to be in relationship with him. 
just the fact that we get to know him. He says, you can come and earnestly seek me. There was a time where, as a regular person like you and me, we couldn't even seek him. But in the new covenant, because of what Jesus did, the temple veil that separated us from the presence of God was torn in two. So now we get to come into his presence. But we have to earnestly seek him. It's not a haphazard strolling into his presence. It's a thing of going after him, of earnestly seeking him. Not only believing him, you know, the, the, James tells us that demons believe in God and shudder. So believing in him isn't enough. We have to seek him too. We have to live for him. We have to trust him and know him. So it's so important that we know that that, that rewarding, that, that talks about his character, the fact that he's good, the fact that he's faithful, the fact that he's never changing, the fact that he is on your team and that you're never going to lose with him in your corner. You may think you've lost some battles, we don't even lose the battles. It's all about whether or not we have his perspective in the battle. Because with him, the battle is won every time. We have to remember that. Because you see, faith is at the heart of everything that we do. Everything we do springs off of our faith. It starts with salvation. You know, you can't be saved without faith. None of us are saved without faith. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. The grace of God is only imparted into our life through our faith, through our believing it, receiving it in our life. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Beautiful. Best gift you'll ever get. It's the gift of grace that we get to receive from God. Because you see, not everyone is saved. Some people would like to believe that everybody's saved. We're all going to go to heaven. You know, grace at the end of the day, grace is going to get us all to heaven. Not everyone is saved. You have to receive the grace of God through faith, through believing it, receiving it. Jesus made a way for everybody, but not everybody receives it. And see, we've all been given a level of faith. You can't say, well, I don't have any faith. Well, that's not true because the Bible tells us, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 12 that we've all been apportioned a measure of faith in our life. Now, some are born with the gift of faith. Some people literally have a gift where they have the ability to believe in ways that most of us cannot believe. In fact, my wife, I believe wholeheartedly, has the gift of faith. She has the ability to believe God for things sometimes where I'm looking back going, where are you getting that? She can just stir herself up, and it's, it's literally a gift that God gives some people. But we've all been given a measure of faith. Now, we don't have to just stay with that, that foundation of faith that God gives us. We build on it. We make it grow. You know, as a, as a former home builder, when I built a foundation, that foundation had to be good. And I would look at a foundation and go, yeah, that's good. I like that. But if you just stop at the foundation, no one's living in a foundation. You have to do the rest of the work to get the house built so, people, so it can actually be inhabited. But the foundation has to be good. Well, God's given us the foundation of faith that each and every one of us has in our life. And I'm thankful for that measure to start with. But I don't know about you guys, but I want my faith to grow. We should want our faith to grow. We should make it a priority for our faith to grow in our life. And this year, we're going we're gonna to do everything we can to help you with that. It shouldn't be a thing for just 21. It should be every year. But we're going we're gonna to make sure we focus on it this year, too. In fact, the apostles, in Luke 17, when Jesus was giving them a couple, things that, uh, a couple um, principles of living for him, the apostles realized how hard it was going to be to live for him. So in, in, chapter, in verse 5, it says, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. If it was good enough for them, it's good enough for us. We need to increase 
our faith. Don't be, don't be content with the amount of faith that you have today. We should always be looking to grow our faith because faith is like a muscle. And it only grows as you use it. That's how we grow our faith. It, to think that our faith is just going to grow because we got saved and I woke up tomorrow morning so my faith's going to grow some is, is as ridiculous as thinking that I can get a six-pack by reading a bunch of articles on ab workouts. If you could, we'd all be avid readers. Hallelujah. Man, that'd be great. It doesn't work that way, though, and it doesn't work that way with our faith. Our faith grows as we exercise it, as we use it, as we step out. If we're not ever scared because we're stepping out in faith, if we're not ever scared or nervous about, oh, man, if, if you never hear yourself say, well, God, I hope, you, I hope you come through here, then we're probably too comfortable. We need to be stepping out. We need to be trusting God in greater capacity. If your faith is in anything else other than Jesus, you'll be on a perpetual roller coaster. We need to grow our faith in him. We can't be looking to other things anywhere else to help our faith grow or to even give us the satisfaction in life. If your faith this year was in politics, there's a good chance you're on a, you're on a roller coaster, right? In fact, anytime your, your faith is in a party or a candidate, every four to eight years you're depressed because it's just how it goes, right? In my lifetime, it's just been like this constantly. It doesn't mean we don't care. It doesn't mean we don't do our part, but our faith can't be in that. Our faith's not in whether or not who's, who's in charge, what party's in charge, who's in charge, where, what, the way things are going. Things are in complete turmoil right now. And if our faith is in Jesus, we can look at this situation more objectively and say, okay, God, we trust you. We're trusting you. No matter what you want to happen, my trust is in him. My faith is in him. It's unchanging. You know, no matter what we go through in this country, we as Christians in our lifetime will probably never see the type of persecution that Christians see in other countries every day, every single day. And it's easy for us to get all swallowed up in our own, our own lives and our own thoughts and our own values and our own things that we think are important in our life, when in reality, we still live in a country where we've got it made in so many ways as followers of Jesus. And that's not to say that things can't get crazy. But I, I know that we have a lot of reasons to feel blessed here. We have a lot of reasons to be thankful to Jesus for the blessings we have. The fact that we can come to church here and worship openly without any fear of retribution is a huge, huge blessing, church. Like, we, we just don't even understand it. We don't see it. I, I read a book not too long ago about the church in China and how if they're going to have church, it's got to be underground and it's got, they have to like, they can't even all come to church at the same time. They have to come in increment, 10 minute increments so that the, the government won't know a bunch, see a bunch of people going into a house. They're going to assume they're having church and they're going to come in and arrest them. I mean, we're so blessed in so many ways. But at the end of the day, our faith is in him. Our faith and our hope is in Jesus and what he's done for each and every one of us. Now, there will always be tension between the flesh and the faith. You know, I've had moments over the last few months where I've had some, I've had to stir my faith. I've had to, I've had to encourage myself in the Lord. I've had to have joy encourage me in the Lord. I've had those moments too, because there's always that tension with flesh and faith. You know, because the flesh wants to believe what we see. And the flesh wants what's best for me. 
And so there's always going to be that tension. But you know what? We don't walk by sight. In fact, the Paul, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, famous verse, we walk by faith and not by sight. We have to stop trying to use these eyes to grow our faith and these ears to grow our faith. That's not how we grow our faith. We grow our faith by trusting him, by seeing with eyes that you don't see with, by seeing with our spirit and by trusting him. You know, there's also the tension of the Wanting things that aren't always God's will for us, you know, because we don't always know what God's will is for us. We, there's things we want that we don't know. We're believing for it. There's certain things we know we can believe for because it's in here. But there's other things that we don't know if it's God's will or if it's not. And we believe for it and it's hard to know if it is his will and then it doesn't happen the way we think it should happen. And it's, it, sometimes that can detrimentally affect your faith. But all that tells me I'm mature enough in my faith to know if something I'm believing for didn't happen, well, then I just missed it. Because God never fails. He never forsakes. He never leaves me. He's always faithful. Always. He has never for one nanosecond in the history of the universe not been faithful. So that tells me if, I'm, if it's not happening my way, I miss something. But at the end of the day, I can still trust him. Something didn't happen my way yesterday. For a moment, I was, I was bummed. And I had to, I, then I had to remember. I had to remind myself, oh, yeah, that's right. I can trust you. <laughs> I don't trust my results over here. I trust you and who you are. So we're walking in faith. So what we're going to do over these next four weeks, the common thread in all of this is we're going to talk about the invitations of Jesus, the invitations that he gives us that, that, will help, that helps us in our faith, helps us to grow our faith, because Jesus is always inviting us into a greater place of faith. And, you know, for an invitation to fulfill its purpose in our life, like Jesus is inviting us, there's three components that have to be fulfilled. There's, you have to receive the invitation, you have to review the invitation, and then you have to respond to it. That works in any kind of invitation. You've got an invitation for a wedding. You have to receive it for it to work, and then you have to review it so you know the details of it, and then you have to respond. That's the only way the, the invitation can fulfill its purpose. It's the same way for us when Jesus invites us. We have to receive it, we have to review it, and we have to respond to it. So that's what we're going to do. In fact, um, this first week, we're going to talk about the invitation of Jesus where he gives us faith to know him. And I took a minute to kind of set up this series uh, leading up to this. And this is actually the start of my sermon. So we're going to be here until about 3 o'clock. I hope that's all right with everybody. Uh, no, I'll keep, the, I'll keep the rest of it short today. But I wanted to take some time to, to lay the groundwork for this, for this month. Um, Jesus invites us to have faith to know him. You know, everything is built in our life off knowing him. Everything in our life. It starts, your faith starts with knowing him. If we don't know him, it's where we get into heresy. That's where we get into being misguided. It's where we get into being upset and frustrated and fearful. It's because we don't know him. We don't know his character. We don't know his plan, his will for us. So this is the appropriate place to start is that we would have faith to know him. He is the author, the beginning of our faith. He's the one that builds that foundation for us, that gives it to each and every one of us. And it says, that he, the Bible says he's the perfecter of our faith. So he's also the one that helps us to grow in our faith. And it all comes from knowing him. And one story in the Bible that beautifully illustrates the invitation of Jesus to know him is the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. And most of you probably know it. And rather than try to explain it myself, I'm actually going to read it because it, it explains itself really well in Luke 19 verses 1 to 10. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. 
A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Remember that. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And all the short people said, Amen. Amen. I'm with you. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be with the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen. Anybody glad that he came to seek and save the lost? Hallelujah. So there, in this passage here, we see that Jesus invited Zacchaeus to a couple things. Ultimately, he invited him to know him, to know Jesus. So I want to give you three components here that we get from this story of knowing, to knowing Jesus. And the first one is that we have to seek him. We have to seek him. You see that Zacchaeus here knew that Jesus was coming and knew he wouldn't be able to see him because he, he was a short guy, which, you know, we know the short people are, are the really godly ones because God helps you, lets you stop growing once you are perfect. So all you tall guys, I'm sorry, it took you longer. Um, but he was a short guy, so he knew to see Jesus, his only chance was to climb up in a tree. Zacchaeus did what he had to do to seek Jesus. You know, my text verse for this month out of Hebrews 6 tells us that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. There is, a, there is a commission on our part to seek Jesus. See, in the old covenant, we couldn't seek him. We couldn't seek God. We had to just kind of go by what the prophet said and, and what the priest said and what Moses said. Like, they were the ones that got to talk to God. The rest of us just kind of sat around and waited till we had some stuff that we could be told about God. Now in the new covenant, we can actually seek him. We don't have to wait around. We don't have to wait to see what other people say about him. We get to seek him on our own. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus did. He went to seek him. And he had to because there were things obstructing his view. Let me say to you today, church, there will always be things obstructing your view of Jesus. There will always be things getting in the way. I think sometimes we get in this mindset where we just expect the waters to part you know, Zacchaeus could have stood there and said, you know what, I'm a special guy. If Jesus wants me, he can come find me. And he expects Jesus to fight through the crowd to get to him. Like, where's Zacchaeus? Where's Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus had to make himself known. He had to go up in a tree to stand out to get to that place and to make sure he had eyes on Jesus. It's, it's imperative upon us to understand that there will always be obstacles to us seeking Jesus. Every day. And it's a pipe dream to think that we want the stars to align so that everything will just work out perfectly so that we can actually seek our God. We're going to always have chaos in life. Always. If you, if, if you live long enough, you know to, to think that if I could just get through these next couple of weeks, things will slow down so I can have more time to read my Bible or, or pray or seek God. Those, that time never comes. <laughs> I, I'd say it all the time, but every retired person I've ever talked to is like, I don't know how I had time to work. I'm busier now than I've ever been. It doesn't slow down. So we have to figure out a way to get past the obstacles that are keeping us from seeking him. We have to figure out a way to push the distractions aside. 
We have to figure out a way to, to uh, manage the time in our life, the things demanding our time. I, know, I mean, you know, as a, as a 47-year-old now, I think, man, kids, you guys, youth, you guys have all the time in the world. But I remember being a youth thinking, I don't have any free time. You know, my kids don't feel like they have free time. There's just, it, there's always going to be obstacles that stand in our way, and we have to be intentional about making sure that we don't allow those obstacles keeping us from seeking God. Because now is not the time to be lazy in our faith. It's not the time to wait for Jesus to come and move heaven and earth so he can be with us. He's done everything to be with us. But there's a part we have to play to seek him too. We can't just want to wait around and be swept off our feet and Jesus is going to come in like Prince Charming and sweep us off our feet and whisk us off into paradise. That will happen one day, but that's typically the day you die. Then he'll take you to paradise. You won't have to worry about anything ever again. But as long as we're on this earth, we got to make sure that we're intentional. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. He gives us three imperatives there. He says, Ask, seek, and knock. Tells me we got stuff to do. We got we to make sure we don't get caught up in thinking that, you know, we could just sit there and Jesus is going to fling the door open and come running in and save us. He's saying, you got to knock on the door sometimes. You got to seek me. You got to ask. You, you, those are all things that we have to do to make sure we're doing our part to seek him. Now, the beauty is that even in this passage, Jesus said at the very end, he said that the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So he's seeking us too. It's not like he's hiding from us. If you feel like Jesus is hiding from you, you don't know the scripture. He doesn't hide from us. He's always there. Always there. We let the things of the world obstruct our view, and we're not willing to climb up in that tree to see him. Don't be afraid to climb up in the tree. You can't expect to know him and know his heart if you're not really looking for him. See, sometimes the fear of man can keep us from really seeking him too. What do you think about Zacchaeus? It says that he was wealthy. So he was a distinguished man. He was a man probably was dressed nice because he had money. You know, the wealthy people in, in Jesus' day stood out a lot more than they can even today sometimes. Sometimes in, in, in the U.S., you can't even always tell if somebody has a ton of money. Sometimes you can't, but sometimes you can't. Well, in, in Jesus' day, you could definitely tell. Zacchaeus was probably dressed to the nines. He wanted people to know he had money. He was corrupt because he was a tax collector. If you know anything about how the tax collectors worked in Jesus' day, they were commissioned by the governor or the king to collect taxes from the people, and they had a certain amount they had to collect. And anything they got above and beyond that, they got to keep for themselves. So they were known to take more money than they needed to from the people because that's how they got their money. So the fact that Zacchaeus was wealthy tells us he's probably been doing it for a while, and he was good at getting more money out of people than he needed to. So he was, a, he was one of the upper crust. And so here he is, knowing Jesus is coming, he wanted to see Jesus, climbs a tree. I don't know about any other adults in here, but I, I used to climb trees when I was a kid. I don't recall climbing a tree since I've been an adult. Because I, I don't really want to fall out of a tree. You know, you, you lose some of that hand-eye coordination as you get older. So adults don't typically climb trees. Yet Zacchaeus, this upper crust, distinguished, wealthy man, is like, nothing's getting in my way of seeing Jesus. And he climbed up in a tree. He didn't let fear of man get in his way because he was hungry for God. 
Oh, that we would be that hungry for God. That we're not worried about being a little bit embarrassed, not doing things that the world was think as silly. You know, we gotta. We're, we are always showing our allegiance, our allegiance to our football teams. We'll put those silly flags on the windows of our car that are flopping as we're driving down the road, looking like fools because we want everybody to know that we're a Georgia fan. But God forbid we bring our Bible to work to read it during lunch, because somebody might look at me weird. Or you got the Bible app on your phone, kids, and you're at school and you think about reading your, your Bible at lunch, but you won't let anybody see your phone because you don't want them to see you on your Bible. Like we get embarrassed to seek our God. We'll show allegiance to other things, more things than I care about all the time. But yet we let the fear of man get in the way of, from us really seeking after our God. We need to be more like this corrupt sinner sometimes as Christians where we're hungry for God and we'll climb a tree. We'll do something silly to make sure we get eyes on Jesus, to make sure we're seeking him, to make sure we're doing our part. I wish we would be willing to do more things that embarrass us. And I'm not talking about being boisterous and obnoxious Christians. I know those are out there too. We're not, Jesus doesn't want us to be obnoxious. But man, we are called to let our light shine. Not let other people, if, if, you're, if you're scared or nervous about your faith around other people, that's the fear of man. And we don't need to walk in that. All right, secondly, we respond to him. So we seek him and we respond to him. In that passage of Zacchaeus, Jesus told him to come down from the tree. And in verse 6, it says, So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Zacchaeus had to respond to Jesus' invitation to know him. And he responded quickly. You know, the response to Jesus' invite, the first response is to know him as our Lord and Savior. The first response is for salvation. And many of us, most of us in this room have already responded to that invitation. Some of you may be here today that you've never responded. I don't want to assume that everybody in here is part of the family of God that's given their heart and their life to Jesus. And if you're here today and you haven't, I can tell you very, very confidently that the Lord brought you here for this very reason. So that you could know him. You don't have to go to church to know Jesus, but sometimes church can help you, help turn you, to help you find the way to Jesus. See, Jesus invites every one of us to know him, to give our lives to him, to walk, to, to receive his salvation with faith, to receive his grace through faith. And I just want to encourage you today, if you're here today and don't know him, please don't leave this place without giving him your life. It's the best decision you'll ever make. I've never heard a Christian once ever say, man, I really regret getting saved. Sometimes it's tough. I'm not going to say that life's a piece of cake from there on out, but man, is it worth it. It's so worth it. He, he conquered death for you and me. He conquered sin for you and me. And I encourage you today to give your heart to him and to live for him. He's worth it. So that after we respond to salvation, then we get to know his heart. He, he asks us to respond to him in such a way where we can go to deeper places with him. That's where, that's where we want to go, amen? We want to go to deeper places. We want to know our God in a deeper way. We want to continually respond to his invitation in our life to know him, to be intimate with him. You know, the, the Apostle Paul said in, in Philippians 3 that he has forsaken all things compared to just knowing Jesus, just to have that intimate relationship with Jesus, to be able to go into the Holy of Holies and to be able to commune with our God 
and to be able to come to his, his throne of grace boldly because of what he did for us. That's his invitation to each and every one of us. It's about an invitation to live a life of obedience to him, to forsake the standards of this world and obey his standards, to live according to his word, live according to his principles for our lives. He invites us to go to that place. Sometimes his invitation looks like a conviction. We respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you become a follower of Jesus, it doesn't mean you stop sinning. It just means you start to get convicted when you do sin. And when we get convicted, we repent. That's the response to Jesus in that situation. You know, I, I, I feel like I talk about it a lot, but I, I feel the need to talk about it a lot because I feel like it's something that, that has been missing in the church for some time is the lifestyle of repentance. You know, that we, we don't have to get saved every day, but man, the Bible's clear that the Holy Spirit, one of his jobs is to convict us of sin. That's not just on the day of salvation. That's for the rest of our, if any of you stop sinning after you got saved, get on up here and preach because you're way better than I am. We don't stop sinning, but we repent when we are convicted of our sin. So we as Christians should be repenting all the time, all the time. That's a response to Jesus. And let me tell you, the best place to be in this world is responding to him. Whatever, that, whatever he's calling us to in that moment, that's the best place to be. Whether it's the call of your, uh, on life of where you're going to live, where you're going to work, who you're going to marry, whatever it is, responding to him is the, where you want to be. That's the sweet spot. That's the zone you want to be in. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew 11 what we can expect if we respond to him in verses 28 to 30. He says, come to me. In other words, respond to me. All you who are weary and burdened, that's everybody. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's why we respond to him. Because he will give us rest. Now I know sometimes we can get caught up thinking, oh good, I come to Jesus and everything's going to be ice cream with cherries and whipped cream the rest of my life. No. It's not necessarily a physical rest he's giving us here, church. Okay? Don't confuse this because he's very clear to say here, take my yoke upon you. You know, a yoke, you don't take a yoke unless you're about to work. Now, this may be revelation for some of you, but a yoke is about work. Okay? Now, we're not working to get salvation, but Jesus is also not saying that if you come to me, you just kick back in a recliner with sipping sweet tea for the rest of your life either. There's work to be done. That's a, a response to him is about working for him. James says, you show me, you talk about your faith, I'll talk, tell you, show you my faith by what I do, by how I work, right? What he says here, the rest we get, he goes on to clarify, he says, you will have rest for your souls. Now let me tell you, soul rest is better than any physical rest could ever be. Because soul rest is rest in here. It's a peace. It's a peace, church. It's a comfort in knowing that I have a purpose in this life that is so much more than what the world can give me. It's so much more than anything I could ever find on my own. It, you know, we all have that, people say, the God-shaped hole in our soul we have. We've all got it. When, he, when we come to him, he fills it. And to know that you're in relationship with him, that you're his child, and that nothing can snatch you out of his arms, nothing can separate you from his love, that's the rest he's talking about. 
That in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of everything we're seeing happening in our society today, that I can have rest for my soul. But I have to respond to him. I respond to him, and that is where I get my rest. You know, there is a servant in this relationship we have with Jesus, but he's not the servant we are. Sometimes I feel like we approach our relationship with him as if he's kind of our servant. Like he does our bidding once we get saved. I've done my part. I got saved. Now it's time for Jesus to do his thing for me. We are called to serve him. He set the example for us because when he was on earth, he said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Now you follow my example. So we are serving him in our life. Let me give you the last one before I'm out of time. The third one is to follow him. We follow him. We seek him. We respond to him. And we follow him. Faith is all about following his lead. It was his idea for Zacchaeus to come out of the tree. It was his idea for, to go to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus was following his lead. He is the one in charge in our relationship with him. If we really want to know him, we have to be submitted to him. This is another trap that we find ourselves getting into sometimes. Sometimes we think that Jesus is, after we get saved, he's kind of our, our personal genie that's supposed to fix all of our situations. And again, I'm not saying he doesn't come in and help our situations, but it's all about our, our motive. It's about our attitude. It's about us understanding that we have to submit to him, that he is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is our God. We are the sheep. He is the shepherd. But sometimes I, I feel like we can get caught up, and I've done this, where we get caught up in our relationship with Jesus because we see all the needs we have. And so it's like we're taking Jesus by the hand, bringing him over here, saying, okay, Jesus, I got this job situation right here. I need you to fix this. My boss is a jerk. I need you to either get rid of him or make him nice, one of the two. And I need you to get me a raise because I'm not making enough money. And then you bring him over here. Now come over here, Jesus. Now here's my kids. Uh, I need my kid that my, my daughter's boyfriend is a jerk. I need you to figure out a way to get rid of him because he doesn't need to be around. I need you to fix that, make sure she loves you and that she's good. And uh, make sure I'm getting, if you're a child or a youth and you're in school, like, God, I need you to help me on my test. I need good grades. I need friends. I need these things. And we're taking Jesus around all of our issues, showing him what we need. When in reality, he's saying, I want you to surrender all of these things to me. Don't, don't. And again, it, it's, I'm not trying to split hairs here in wording. I'm talking about our heart in it. Okay. It's okay to ask. I already said, he said to ask. And it will be given. So it's okay to ask him in these situations we have. But it's got to be from a heart of submission. It's a heart of denying ourselves. And we're surrendered to him and his will for our life and his glory and his kingdom. And in everything, I, I never pray for anything without making sure my heart is in a place where I say, God, this is what I want. But God, I'm surrendered to you. It's all yours. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, not mine. This is what I want. This is what I hope your will is. But if it's not, your will above mine. Jesus did it in the garden. He was getting ready to go to the cross. And he said, if there's any other way, God. But he said, not my will. Yours be done. And Jesus tells us the same thing in Luke 9. Verse 23 to 24, he says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. He's telling us, showing us what a relationship with him looks like. We're following him. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. We are following him 
by taking up our cross. I know I say this all the time, but I know I need to be reminded of it, so I'm assuming you guys do too. The taking up the cross, that is a symbol of death, that we are dying to ourselves, we're denying ourselves. And he didn't say we do it once. We don't just do it when we get saved. How often do we do it? Daily. I believe Jesus could have said hourly, but didn't want to overwhelm us. I don't know about you, but I, I throw my cross down a few times a day usually. i got to be reminded to pick it up because it's not about me. It's about him. I'm here to follow him. He says not only are you supposed to take up your cross, but then you're supposed to follow him. Follow his lead, his will, his purpose for our life if we really want to know him. It's all about being submitted to him and his purpose. Our faith is not about getting Jesus to do for us what we want, but about following him wherever he takes us. That's what true faith looks like. That's what mature faith looks like when we grow in our faith. And let me just finish today by saying we cannot stay in the tree. You can't follow Jesus if you stay in the tree. I don't know what the tree represents for you. Because I know initially Zacchaeus going into the tree was a thing of, you know, looking silly. But I bet once he got up in that tree... He probably liked the view. He was above all the situation. Nobody could get to him. He could see Jesus. So it was good. He was perched up there. But you know what? We can't live up in the tree. We can't live escaping from all the troubles, all the things that are going on down on the ground. We're not effective if we're just hiding in our prayer closets 24 hours a day. We're not being effective if we're just hanging out with our close Christian friends all the time and doing nothing else. We are called to be salt and light. we got to get out of the tree. The tree's good for a moment. The tree's even good for a little bit each day, but then we got to get out of the tree. If we're really going to follow him, you can't follow Jesus. Jesus ain't climbing through the tree. So if we're following him, we're coming down out of it. And we are living for him. We're following him. And I tell you, when Zacchaeus followed Jesus that day, it was to his house, which was fine. The next day, he might have taken him somewhere where he was getting some persecution. The next day, he might have taken him somewhere where he he was having to make some sacrifices. You follow Jesus, some days will be easier than others. But every day is good if Jesus is leading the way. Every day. And you know you're going to get through whatever he's taking you to if you're following him and you're with him. Hallelujah. Amen. So, Jesus' invitation to Zacchaeus was from, went from seeing him to knowing him. And that's his invitation for us. Hopefully you have seen him and you continue to seek him. And he ultimately wants you to know him in a greater way. Jesus made Zacchaeus more like him and he will make us more like him. You know, I think it's really neat. The, the Bible tells us in that story that Zacchaeus got out of the tree and he said, she said, I'm gonna give four times whatever I have robbed people of. I'm going to pay back four times. That was over above and beyond what even the law would have required. He said, I'm going to give four times. And not only that, I'm going to give half of all my wealth away to the poor. Jesus changed his heart. You can see he changed his heart almost immediately. But that's what what Jesus does. When we get to know him, when we seek him, when we respond to him, and we follow him, he changes us. And he makes us more like him. That's That's a win. Because I want to be less and less like me every day and more like him. The better, the, 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 the closer I get to him, the more I feel like I get victory in my life over sin, I feel like the more I see the sin that I still have. And it, it, it just, I, I feel 
I feel my need for him more every day. Getting closer to him doesn't make me feel like I've arrived. It makes me feel like, whoa, how did I do it back here without him? Right? But it's a beautiful place to be because you're with him. You're with him. You're getting, you're getting to know and be in relationship with the king of the universe. The one who has fire in his eyes. That loves us so, so much. And you know, love for Jesus can motivate us to greater things than legalism ever could. Than manipulation ever could. We don't want to ever try to manipulate you into anything for the kingdom or doing anything for the church. It's never about manipulation because we know that if you love God, you'll want to do things for the kingdom. It it's, love for Jesus is the greatest motivator there ever was. And that's our heart for you. And I hope that's your heart too because if you're hungry like Zacchaeus, you'll see God move in mighty ways in your life. Would you stand with me as we close today? You know, one of the core values of, uh, of the church that we have we have a list of core values that uh, Joy and I try to uh, inspire our staff and, and you guys too. One of the, the core values that we have is, is radical faith. And uh, the little tagline we have with it is that if we don't need, um, I'm going to butcher it here, but if we don't need God, it's not big enough, right? If we don't need to believe God for it, it's not big enough. And that's our heart. It's a core value of ours for the church. That we want to believe God for big things, not, not, for, not for anything for us. And when we say big things, it's not even about like, you know, that the church would just be overflowing with people. It's not, it's, it's about kingdom things. It's about God doing what he wants to do. It's about, it's about making the vision, the mission manifested in this place that people would get saved, respond to Jesus and that people would grow in their faith. And we want to see it, want to see it in great ways. In fact, on New Year's Eve, we were with some of our family and somebody just blurted out and said, Hey, what's a goal you have for 21? And the first thing that came to my mind, and it was actually kind of interesting because I hadn't really thought much about it. I don't really do New Year's resolutions um, just because I know I'll just fail and then I'll just feel bad. So it's better not to have them, right? No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I don't typically do that. But the first thought I had was, oh, yeah, I know a goal I have. It's, and it, it was for the church. I said, I, my goal is that we would see at least 52 people give their heart to Jesus through the ministry of New Hope this year. Well, at least one a week. Or average one a week, I should say. And, you know, that, to some that may seem huge. To some that may seem like a drop in the bucket. But, you know, we don't always get to see if people are actually, if their lives are being changed and they're, they're coming from death to life through the ministry of the church. And we, I just want to see it. Because, I mean, you guys know, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know somebody that genuinely gets saved. Boy, there's not much of a better feeling than that. You know, the Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels when somebody comes to faith in Jesus. So I know how we feel when that happens. So that, that's, that's a radical goal for us for this year. I hope, I hope we'll look back at the end of this year and go, man, we shouldn't have said 52. We should have said 1,000 because we actually got that power. But we just, that, that's something we want to believe for this year for this church. And we want you guys to believe for big things too in your life. Like not, not selfishly, but to, that the kingdom of God will be built through you and through your life. But it, it starts by us knowing him. We have to seek him, respond to him, and follow him. So I want to pray for us. And I just ask you to respond to this prayer today. Receive it with your heart. Father God, we love you so much today. Jesus, thank you for this wonderful time together. Lord, we are so blessed. We really are blessed. 
no matter what happens around us, the fact that we are your children, the fact that we can have a relationship with you, God, is such a blessing. We thank you for it today, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you made it so that we can have a relationship with you, so that we can know you, so that we can know you intimately. And Father God, I pray that you would help each of us in this room, everyone listening, under the sound of my voice. God, that we would make it a priority in our life to seek you, to respond to you, and to follow you. God, whatever that means for us, Lord, those things that are hindering us, keeping us from doing that in our life, God, would you help us to recognize it and deal with it? Holy Spirit, would you give us a heart that burns for Jesus? That we would be so hungry that we would not be afraid to climb a tree to seek you. That we'd be so hungry that we would respond to you quickly and that we would follow you no matter where it takes us. God, that we would be so hungry that our hearts would be changed and, and made more like you, like Zacchaeus's was. That we would see our sin and immediately want to eliminate it from our life. God, give us hungry hearts for you, Jesus. Your word tells us that the blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. God, fill us to overflowing. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to be your hands and feet, God, everything that you've called us to be. We love you, Lord. Let your kingdom be expanded through our lives and through the ministry of this church this year, God. And Lord, we pray for our nation today. God, we pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. I am not going to profess to know all the plans you have, but God, I know that I'm surrendered to you. And I want your will to be accomplished. And Lord, I know that no matter what happens in the political world, your will can be accomplished. It can't stop you. Nothing can stop you. Lord, help us to be your hands and feet, to be salt and light as you've called us to be. Let your church rise up in this time, Lord. At 21 would be a year where they would say the church rose up and loved like we were supposed to love that you would be glorified, that you would be exalted, that your name would be made famous, that the banner over our, the banner over our lives would be love. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We commit ourselves to you, God. Have your way in each one of our lives. It's for your glory and for your honor and your praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Can you give God a hand clap praise today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Mm, God is good. God is good, church.